welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we meet the Fantastic Moor, get Spielberg aboard the Blackhawks, and we discuss all the Superman you can buy for eight bucks. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm David, that's Nick, you are the listening audience, and this is the podcast where we talk about comic books and the news and the releases and the glavin and the whatnot. Nick, how are you? I'm I'm doing all right, still trying to get a, like a clogged nose, throat type situation uh, under control. Always but... the worst and the best for podcasting. Uh, very, very true, very true. Nick. Uh, but how are you, David? Uh, I'm fine. I just, I, you know, we're here in this one week before Infinity War landscape that we find ourselves in. It's a week away? It's a week away, man. Oh, I've got, uh, I don't think I'm finishing that Marvel rewatch thing. I just, I, I only have Thor and Black Panther, which is not available in any shape or form for watching. So I'll be watching Thor this weekend and that'll pretty much be it. Um, here's, here's my question though. Here's my thing. It's yeah. all, it's all downhill after infinity war, right? Like this is the culmination. This is what we've been leading to, but like, this is like, they don't, they, they've, you know, I, I believe that Kevin Feig, Feig, Feige has had this plan in his mind for these 10 years up to this point. I don't think he's had 30 years planned out. No, I, I don't, I don't think they had 30 years planned out. I think, and this is speculation on my part, slash maybe interviews that I've read here or there that I might be just making up. Um, but I think it's that they want their, their goal whenever they finally, they, they realized that they could reach this goal, excuse me, was to get to the Avengers three and four. Um, when it comes to what comes after that, like we already know, like guardians, guardians, galaxy volume three is coming out, uh, homecoming sequel. Um, well, I, well you know, most, most things they're keeping like under wraps, like they haven't officially said, or like, Oh, they're going to get like Steven, like the Dr. Strange doesn't officially have a new movie lined up. Or supposedly Benedict Cumberbatch has said, don't even expect Doctor Strange to make it out of Infinity War, which I think he said it in a way where, like, it was just more, I like, think, teasing. Yeah. Like, it could be a thing. Yeah. That'd be interesting if they introduced Doctor Strange just to kill him in Infinity War. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get one of, like, the biggest British actors right now and just kill him off. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but that doesn't mean that the universe can't go on and go on in... Um, and be better than ever. It just truly has to reinvent itself. I mean, we just got Black Panther, you know, even like, yeah, you do even see, he's only had two appearances, three as of infinity war and probably Avengers four. Um, you know, people definitely are going to be clamoring to see more of that. Basically just, we have to get used to the reality that characters like Cap, Thor and Iron Man more than likely will not be around in any significant capacity, if at all. I think that's what we have to expect from this next wave or next phase. So I think I was even read some articles saying that Feige is planning on moving away from the phase system. System. Yeah, I don't. I, mean, I don't think they can sustain it. 
Well, I mean, to me, the phase always just kind of felt like a, cer- a ceremonial, ceremonial, yes, ceremonial, um, because I mean, at the end, like, you know, there's X number of movies in phase one, Y number of movies in phase two, like, it wasn't like there was always a set number of movies in each one, they just kind of, all right, these movies are going to be in phase two, these are going to be in phase three, right? Uh, I don't see why they couldn't just call the next one phase four. Even if it does things slightly, I mean, I don't know how different it could really be. Okay, you've got Captain Marvel, we'll probably have Black Panther two, Guardians three, Spider Man two, like, and then probably throw in some new characters or some side characters, like a Black Widow movie, um, might fall okay. into there. It's, take, uh, it's taking its time. It's taking yeah, its time. It's gonna it's be way too late. Uh, yeah. So I'll be really, you know, there's there's a lot of question of like who's gonna make it out of Infinity War alive. Spoiler alert: almost all of them. Like, pretty much everyone's going to live through this. Somebody on Twitter today, like, did this whole rundown of, like, here's... And I'm just going to kind of highlight some of it. Um, but they like, here's who I think is going to live and who I think is going to die. And they're like, Cap's going to die, which I think kind of is the general consensus. Um, it's like 50-50 on Tony, 50-50 on the Hulk. Uh, Guardians don't have much to do. Hopefully they'll, like... Uh, hopefully... Thor tasked them to protect the S Guardians. So, like, this person doesn't even want, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, involved in stuff at all. Uh, they don't care about Bucky, but they think that he'll live. Oh, no. Um, don't She doesn't care about the Vision and thinks, like, Vision is going to die and that'll be that. Uh, Falcon's fine. They said uh, Rhodey lives. Um, a bunch of like Wakandan people are going to die. Oh, this is the t- only one Peter survives, and it's the adorable one. Mostly because Peter Quill is boring, so she thinks that like Peter Parker's going to live. Peter Quill will die. Nebula dies. Gamora is 60 40. Groot and obviously are fine. Mantis will probably die. Uh, Thor lives. Loki dies for real. Uh, and yeah, just kind of like ran through a couple other characters. But I'm like, that is so much more bloodshed than they're willing to do. Like, they are not going to be like, and all of these characters die. Like, it's going to be like, a couple of characters die. And then everyone else is going to be emotionally scarred, but really quippy in their next movies. Though, I mean, they've got to find... In a universe like this, it's... They have to trim how... the fat, I think. Oh, this, I mean, they have she... to trim the fat, so to speak, but also, like, you know, it's, it's if these were the comics, yeah, these characters could keep coming back, but unless right. they want to recast them, which it seems like they're kind of shying away from recasting, probably since Terrence Howard became Don Cheadle. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the last one, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll probably bring Coulson back to kill him. It's like, um, Coulson has been on TV for six years. Like, they're not going right. to be like, let's bring him back and then just kill him there and not on his TV show. That would be cool that Coulson, it is cool that Coulson and uh, Fury will be making appearances oh, as well, they? Younger, their younger oh, versions of Captain versions. Marvel. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then Captain Marvel. I thought, like, there was going to be something in Infinity War that I hadn't heard about. No. Uh, uh, well, though I think there's, like, a rumor going around uh, based on, like, Sephos and stuff that Avengers 4 is going to involve time travel somehow. Yeah, because Avengers three might end with Thanos snapping his fingers, and yeah. be like they have to go back in time to change it. But we'll, we'll, we're going to have all of our Infinity War talk uh, coming up soon. Not even like not even next week. Um, though I do think we should maybe try and get on after we both see it pretty shortly after, and kind of like maybe do a special one off to talk about it. Instead yeah, of like waiting, fair. waiting uh, all that time. But we'll, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that coming up. Why don't we focus this week on what we got? Because we got some cool stuff, but we're going to start off as we always do with the news. 
Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, so we kind of took some weird hiatuses for a while, and when we came back, our news stories were kind of all over the place. We missed um, a big one, and we're going to kind of talk about it now, and that is that the Fantastic Four are coming back. Yes. Yes, so they will be back. They will have their own book, but it's not just the four that we all know, of course. You know, there's going to be Reed and Sue and Johnny and the thing. Um, But according to, uh, I can't tell who said this quote, Dan Slott, he said, they're going to be joined by Franklin and Val and Alicia and who knows. We're basically this family has grown and and out in the field, it's going to be more than the ones that we know. And you will be seeing... uh, you will be seeing these these characters who uh, who are now no longer little children, but little man things. Man, both man children. Both man children, Val. including <laughs> Val. Uh, it's Marvel's whole thing. Uh, and, of course, when asked about Doctor Doom, Dan Slott said that Victor will be on new familiar footing. New familiar footing. What a what yeah! A, what a weird way to say that. Say anything. He's going to be both new and just like you've always known. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, it'd be interesting how much they they backtrack on the whole uh, Doom as Iron Man situation. Him trying to be more of a heroic character, um, you know, and still, in, in many ways, being an antagonist. You know, was he able to operate this way because you know the the Fantastic Four weren't assembled? You know, it'll be kind of curious how they do it. Because, you know, at some point, Doom's going to go back to his nefarious ways. Um, yeah, I mean, for this, I mean, so, yeah, the news, the news here that for, for people that maybe only get their news from listening to our podcast, in which case, you probably don't follow the news very, very well, uh, closely. I mean, I mean, look, you and um, I seek out comic book news, but I do know that there are people who don't do so as much. And probably, you know, they still like comics, but they're not up on the news. So maybe, you know, we are providing yeah. a service for them. No, I'm totally down with that. Um, so I was, but here the big news is, you know, Dan Slott and uh, Sarah Pacelli doing the Fantastic Four. Ah, uh, yes, yes, man. Um, that. I wouldn't say that Valerie and like uh, 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 Franklin and Valerie being on here is is super particularly mind blowing news. What I mean, what is interesting, you kind of uh, tease this, is that according to the teaser image that they released. Uh, Franklin and Valerie appear to be a lot older, and they're uh, in, they're in costume as well. That's important to note. They're in costume. They're not. They don't have a Fantastic Four symbol on their chest. Yes, they um, do. What are, what's no, on their chest you, then? If you zoom in on it, it's um. Oh, you're right. Okay, yeah, that was kind of hard. It was hard to see. It people looked... were were claiming it could be uh, a four, uh, the FF symbol for the Future Foundation. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to see. It's just a really poorly, like, photoshopped on four that got messed up, but I think it's pretty (laughs) intentional. Um, Yeah, so it'll be interesting with them, because, I mean, the Fantastic Four, those don't remember, at the end of the Secret Wars event, they went off, Reed with the power of Molecule Man and the Beyonders uh, and and the Future Foundation, which is also interesting because it wasn't just um, Reed, uh, Sue, Franklin, and Val. It was also a bunch of the Future Foundation kids went with them. So I'll be curious to see how they return if they do. Uh, but they went off to reconstruct the multiverse after it was completely destroyed. So um, they've been kind of off being gods in many ways. Which that's, the last... that, that's something we haven't covered as well, which is that the ultimate universe kind of still exists. Ben has teased the return of the ultimate universe at the end of Spider-Man 2. Uh, I like I mean, that he threw that in there and he's like, all right, I'm out. Peace. 
Yeah, that with Spider-Man 2, I felt like it was a book where I, I never finished reading it, but I, I read like the beginning and the end. So clearly, I'm sure all the best parts were in the middle. Um, having like kind of enjoyed the original Spider-Man miniseries, you know, Spider-Man originally came out before Secret Wars happened. So it had this yeah. ending where Peter was like, oh, what's going on with the 616 Miles? Um, and then Secret Wars happened. They incorporated Miles into the main universe. So it was kind of like, I doubt. I doubt, Bendis might say otherwise, I'm not sure, that his original plan was that Miles Morales didn't exist in the 616, even though he technically did. He just has, it doesn't matter. I'm not here to talk about Spider-Man 2. Um, Spider-Man 2. Supposedly, Marvel has plans for the reconstituted Ultimate Universe. Um, but I mean, so I, so actually, I've just been flipping through a whole bunch of my old comics, and a bunch of them were Ultimate Comics. And like that, it was a really special universe, but it kind of overstayed its welcome, or it just got too it got too mired in its own continuity and and problematic storytelling. That you could bring the universe back, but I think for the people that like it, the, that ultimate universe really meant a lot to, I think they've moved on. At least emotionally, yeah. like I know I moved on before the universe even died. It was a really special thing, but by all accounts from everything that I, I knew and understood, it was like it had run its course. Right. And it the, could... the ultimate universe was, was amazing because at the time it was doing yeah. things that you couldn't accomplish in the main Marvel universe. And at uh -huh. some point the main Marvel universe caught up. Yeah. And, and they were kind of doing that thing that, you know, Marvel, uh, this is going to feel kind of like a dig, but it's like, hey, we found a way to rehash some old stories, but sell them to young people again. Like we like a way to make a profit off of them. Not to say like eventually in, in, in a lot of ways they weren't doing some really cool things. I mean, the ultimate Spider-Man run was such a big deal when that started with like with Peter right. Parker. Like that, like everybody I I never read it. I want to go through and read them now. But everybody I know who was reading comics back then was like reading that. Right. Um, and that was like you know, that was the, at the time, too, of, like, Grant, around Grant Morrison's, like, new X-Men, where, like, comics were starting to kind of, like, uh, on the Marvel side, were starting to, like, change a little bit. It kind of been, like, stuck in their ways, and this was, like, this was shaking up. This was helping make Marvel, like, the number one. Um, yeah, this was Marvel coming back from their, like, bankruptcy. There was a real, to me, um, like, this was also around when J. Michael Straczynski was doing his Spider-Man run. There was a real renaissance at Marvel, because they yeah, kind of had really nothing was. to lose. Uh, which is funny because one of the main drivers of that renaissance, one, of course, being Bill Jim, or two being Bill Jimmis and Joe Quesada, is also Axel Alonzo, who eventually became editor-in-chief after Joe Quesada stepped down um, or moved on to a different role. Um, and it's fascinating because a lot of the stuff, I mean, there was definitely certain business decisions that I didn't really like from when Axel Alonzo took over to when he stepped down. Uh, like the constant relaunches and branding stuff like that. Not, I can't say for sure if that had anything to do with Alonzo himself, but it simply happened under his run. But I felt like with like the Marvel now and some of the the post whatever event it came after, Avengers versus X Men, I think was the first event he oversaw. Um, it. What am I trying to say? It, it kind of brought some of the, those like the because the, he, he tr they tried so many different things back in the beginning of the two thousands that. I felt like they were trying to bring a lot of that new and it worked back then, but it's not working now. I, I feel like we're kind of in a cycle of more meat and potatoes stuff, mm -hmm. uh, which really has nothing to do with the new story we were just talking about. Uh, anything else you want to say about the Fantastic Four, David? No, I, th I was going to say we should probably just move on to our next news story at this point. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, it feels like it came out of nowhere, but uh, Steven Spielberg, hot off of Ready Player One, 
uh, is to produce and maybe direct a Blackhawks movie. Blackhawks being a DC Comics property about a team of World War II fighter pilots. Um, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. I, I can see it being up Steven Spielberg's alley. I think certainly probably from his, for his genera- generation, Blackhawks probably has more resonance for him mm-hmm. uh, compared to today. Um, can't say I've been clamoring for a Blackhawks movie personally, and depending on, like, is it going to be set in World War II, will take place in modern times. There's a lot of questions to ask here that we really don't have any information on. Yeah, so there's, well, there's a little bit more information, just kind of some logistical stuff. The screenplay for Blackhawk is being written uh, by David Coeb, uh, who has collaborated with Spielberg as a screenwriter on his titles Jurassic Park, The Lost World Jurassic Park, War of the Worlds, and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Uh, Spielberg will produce the film together with Christy Macasco Krieger under Amblin Entertainment, while Sue Kroll will executive produce under her Kroll & Co. Entertainment shingle. Uh, so there's really not any more information. It was just basically Ready Player One came out, made a bunch of money, and WB managed to talk him into this. I guess you know it's it's kind of hard to tell. Um, he you know he does seem from what's being said that like he does have you know he's he he gets you know he Spielberg doesn't do stuff for a paycheck. Uh, kind of is what it is. Like he does stuff that he wants to do for good or for ill. So for him to be taking on this movie means it's something that he, you know, maybe he was given an option of a bunch of stuff and this is what he decided to do. Um, and of course it'll be a few years before this gets out. Cause Steven Spielberg is a busy, busy man and directs like four movies a year and he's got like four lined up for the next year. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Is it going to be another period piece? Is it going to tie into the DCEU? Is Wonder Woman going to like make a cameo in this? I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Um, there's kind of like now that kind of uh, you know we're in a post Justice League DCEU, things have kind of calmed down a bit, and now there seems to like finally be some news where it's like, all right, we're not gonna you know we're still gonna work on the superhero films that you're expecting but we have a lot of these weird properties that we're going to have some fun with. And I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, yeah. I, I mean, given, especially with, I don't know. I'm just thinking in terms of like Steven Spielberg's like, this is a kind of movie that like, until, you know, I, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. Like when they say like principal <laughs> photography or whatever, uh, production begins, uh, then I'll be like, Oh, okay. This definitely is happening. Cause like you said, with him having so many movies on his, pl- his plate already, this is totally the kind of thing that nah. uh, what I like to call the Guillermo del Toro uh, that will probably could potentially just fall by the wayside. Right. I think I think kind of a difference here is that Spielberg is not the kind of guy to do that to announce projects and then like, oh, well, I, it never really took off the ground. Like if Spielberg is putting his weight behind a project, it's going to go somewhere typically is what I feel like. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody has a list out there of like, here's the movie Spielberg was going to make and never did. E.T. 2, Bridge of Spies 2, Bridge to Terabith the Spies. Uh, Other Spielberg movies that are not popping into my mind right now. He's going to direct Big 2, guys. He's going to direct Big 2. I'm just, I'm putting it out there. Shh, don't worry about it. Uh, I think it's going to, it might take some time, but I think it's going to happen. 
Uh, I love, I just pulled up CBR because I always have to see what they say on this stuff. And Boo. they're saying Spielberg's Black Hawk should be a comic book movie game changer. Oh, Why? Boy. Who knows? I'd have to click on the article and give them clickbait to find and, Yeah, out. and this is like a hard, like, I, I'm i loathe on directing, or on, um, on directing movies. I'm loathe on, like, oh, reports. You know, like, the, this story I'm cool with because he's, like, for sure producing, he's doing it and all that. But so many people are like, oh, Steven Spielberg is going to make a comic book movie and it's going to be... It's like, no, if he's a producer, his name would be on it. This is like, he might direct and we don't know for sure yet. Uh, so if you see something out there where it's like, Steven Spielberg to produce and direct and cater Blackhawk movie, like, those people are not your friends. Don't go on that website. Also... Yeah. Also announced, continuing on the train of, uh, of this entertainment, is that Jessica Jones is returning to Netflix for a season three. That's really kind of all we know right now, but I wanted to bring up this story because it kind of, uh, I think it kind of answers a question, um, mm-hmm. which is, hey, Disney's making its own streaming service soon. What does that mean for the Netflix Marvel shows? And with Netflix still making this and working on it i think it kind of points to like those shows are netflix shows which they're very clearly netflix shows their name is all over that thing uh so yeah we don't have a lot of information but it does seem that it will be remaining on netflix and being made by netflix in conjecture with netflix yeah well i mean i'm not i'm not surprised um uh maybe there was something within the the confines of the contracts to to keep them there um that even if disney was setting up their own service well, that, yeah, at least for the foreseeable future i could definitely see because it's, it's netflix co-produced right right which i mean they co-produced but technically the rights are still owned by disney so it's not mm, like disney couldn't potentially pull them in it depends on depends on the contract and money depends on the contract and money but i mean the, the film rights or whatever you want to call them are still still owned by disney I, well no no they could say we have exclusive distribution rights netflix could have said that but the, the, the problem the problem is like we don't, we don't we don't have access to the contract so we don't know if only they would give us access why won't they give us access what are they hiding uh have you have you I, now i know the answer to this question and it's a silly question but for the audience nick have you watched jessica jones season two yet I have not watched a single episode. I have yet to watch any of the Punisher either. So I've I'm all the, I'm caught up all the way to the end of Defenders, and that's where I've left off. Yeah, I need to also finish season two. But even from like trusted people who are like really lenient on shows and like are like I like most things, were like I did not really like season two. I thought it ended up with fairly favorable no, reviews. No, it got real middling reviews. Oh, well. Womp womp. Yeah, I'm. I mean, this is totally me right now. Quickly googling for the for, from what I remember, it was like some people were like, yeah, it started off okay, and then kind of, well, I don't know. It's got an eighty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That that's weird because I felt like it's also hard because like, is that just based on the first couple of episodes? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if you have an opinion out there on Jessica Jones season two, if you think we should watch it, if you think it's absolute crap, you can of course email us heckyeahcomics at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. Nick, why don't we do a couple of quick hits before moving on? 
Sure, I'm throwing a one in here that has absolutely nothing to do with comic books, but I just want to let you, David, know that Glow Season 2 premieres on June 29th. Oh, that's after you're here. Oh, it is. Maybe I should. No, I can't. Worry about no. People, who, people, people who don't know, Nick and I binged that show over two nights with a lot of alcohol, and it was great. It was the We're best. We're pretty sure it was great even without alcohol, but we can say for sure, well, intoxicated, it, it was, was a delightful show. It was so much fun, and I'm excited for season two. Uh, me too. Uh, but on to the other quick hits, Kathy Yan to maybe, in parentheses, direct a Harley Quinn movie. Cool. And uh, Valiant Entertainment names a new editorial director. Which you have not opened up the link. I didn't. uh, Robert Myers. um, Yeah. um, He's been promoting Robert Myers from managing editor to editorial director. This promotion effective immediately, according to a morning press release, comes less than 24 hours after Energy Foreign Simmons announced his departure from the company. So. For you Valiant people out there. There you go. Yeah, uh, there's, I, been a, there's been a lot of movement with Valiant. I mean, I know it was bought by like a Chinese company um, last year. I think uh, they have different movie live action type properties in development, uh, and it seems like there's definitely been a lot of shuffling in the, on the editorial side, including the original executive management. Because I think a lot of the guys that originally launched this new iteration of Valiant have since moved on after the Chinese company acquired it so sure uh, it'll be really interesting to see the continuing development of valiant though i've by and large dropped off all of their titles you know i i can from my understanding they're still putting out good work uh so yeah. that's cool yeah and i wanted to circle back on the kathy on one for a minute the reason i put like maybe in parentheses on there is because they haven't closed the deal yet um but it is she is in line warner brothers wants her there uh it will be a uh I think it'll be Birds of Prey, actually. Um, I think that we, we put it down. Yeah. yeah, so it'll be Birds of Prey uh, with Marco Robbie returning to her role. Um, but I also wanted to... Or, okay, so the project's based on Birds of Prey, so there's not an actual title for it yet. I, I imagine it'll probably be Birds of Prey. But I wanted to mention this because I think if this does go through, it'll be really awesome because it'll be the first Asian woman directing a uh, a big like superhero film um and also you know i gotta say marvel yeah they got more movies in the theaters and they're they're you know they're making buku bucks but uh it's i think it's cool that over on the dc side they are getting uh with the exception of like spielberg um and scott snyder uh like they're working on getting talent that is not white dudes to work on their stuff. And I hope that that trend continues and then it ends up being a positive trend for them. James Wan released the Aquaman trailer. Just did? No, just... I'm telling him to. Oh, 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 because it comes out, you know, in like in eight no- months. In November. And he, like, he says he has the trailer. He just hasn't released it yet. <laughs> please, please. We want to know. I want to know, James Wan. I like your films. Well, I think now would be a good time for us to get into our review. Reviews? Review? uh, To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right. This week we are going to talk exclusively about uh, probably one of the biggest comics of the last few years. Definitely the biggest comic today. 
And that is Action Comics number 1000, which is 10 separate stories. Uh, we have not talked about how we're going to go through them, but I think maybe just kind of going through them one by one. So I would, thoughts, or you're, you're probably going to start giving me some uh, shit, but I, I'll say that this, this comic is one of the, the biggest in the last few years in terms, and I'm going to use the word again, ceremonially, ceremon- ceremonial, ceremonially, cool. Um, in the sense that it's the first comic, you know, ongoing series to reach 1000 issues, which is fantastic. Superman's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of, way to be a dick about hunt, it. What? I said, find a way to be a dick about it. But in terms of content, there's not a whole lot to go. I disagree with you there. Here. I'm not saying that some of the content which we've discussed off the show isn't good. I'm just saying it's not a book that turns everything on its ear. No, because it's not the... supposed to. I'm, but I'm just saying it's not the kind of book that's going to change. When, you, when I think of, you know, one of the biggest books in, in recent years, I'm thinking like DC Rebirth that changed a whole lot okay, of stuff. Yeah. D- okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Like that did change stuff, but that was like a book of like, Hey, comic fans, look, people who are reading comics every week, look at how big and crazy this is. This book is, I mean, you're going to have people who are going to be stupidly lining up thinking this is going to be a collector's item, which it won't be, but also Fair. like people are going to be like action comics, 1000. Oh man, that sounds cool. I should check that out. Or, like, I should get that for my kid because that's a really big deal. Like, I think this is, like, an introduction issue of Superman, which, like, it's a thousand issues. Why is it an introduction? My name is Nick. Uh, But I think, like, that's kind of the point of it. This is supposed to have the broadest appeal possible. And I think it has some some really cool, real specific mentions and stuff like that. But I I think this is an issue that's supposed to reach the most amount of people that it can where Rebirth is like, yes, it's supposed to do the same thing, but it's like, hey, people who are already reading comics and are buying into what we're currently doing, this is like, hey, people who haven't picked up a comic in 20 years or ever, here's a Superman comic. Yeah. it. Uh... <laughs> what? No, I just, I, I was reading it, and I maybe I just had really, really high expectations uh, maybe I'm just being overly critical, but I just felt like, well, you know what? Let's actually let's just break it down. Let's talk. What it was out. your What was your favorite story of the stories? Uh, so there's probably my favorite one is. Um, let me try to look at the name of it real quick. Uh, it is Never Ending Battle, which is the issue or the the story that was by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason in which he um, gets trapped by Vandal Savage and thrown through his own hyper time loop. And then you have just these, these awesome, you know, one page or each uh, splash pages. Yeah. I was reading it with guided view. So I didn't realize that it was all just splash pages, but it totally is. Uh, And it's going through the different eras, these different iterations of Superman. And it starts, you know, back when he was, Uh, in like the 1930s in Metropolis and you know he mentions he didn't have all his powers he could just like he was bulletproof and could punch really hard and he was a little more violent back then Uh, and it goes through yeah just these these different incarnations and the weird times and you know the 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 darker times and the not so good Frank Miller times 
and it was just this really cool homage to some really cool Superman stories. That's that that was my favorite one. Nick, what was your favorite one? My favorite one was definitely the Ben. No, I'm not even gonna say it. Um, we'll t- we'll talk about that. We yeah, we'll get there. Um, I would say I'm torn between the fifth season, which was um. I just, oh, the Scott Snyder right one. That's surprising. Crap, was that Scott Snyder? It's Scott season? Snyder and uh, and Raphael Albuquerque. Dang it. What? Oh come on! If you liked it, uh, you liked it. I was, I was, uh, when I was going through my comics earlier, I came across all the uh, Jim Gordon Batman comics, and I was like, "Damn, these were good." Yeah, Damn, these were good. All right, fine. Props to Snyder. I'm sorry that I sometimes hate on you on this show, um, but I, I thought it was an interesting conversation. I, I liked it, and then I didn't like it. It's not Snyder's fault. I've never really been a big fan of like. Clark and, and Lex kind of grow being peers growing up. Um, I like that Lex. I like more that Lex. There's just a villain to Superman that has like zero yeah. like zero connection to Clark. Um, but with that, without with excluding that, um, I did like that it was kind of this like you have these from this perspective of these guys that have you know battled so many times, and here's just this moment where you know they're kind of bonding. It's it kind of reminds me of this really random moment where, like, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin are fighting in some random Spider-Man comic. I, I think it was, like, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, whatever. Um, and, it, it like, by the end of the climax, it basically ended with Green Goblin and, Peter, and Spider-Man just kind of, like, sitting against the wall, like, both exhausted, just, like, chumming it up, like, laughing. Like, neither of them can fight, and they're just, like, having a moment. Um so in that case, I like this as Superman and Lex Luthor being peers. Um, and then there was a, a, a moment at the end where Superman's like trusting Lex, uh, in a sense, trusting Lex, like they're, they're talking about it. And Lex Luthor's like, I got the eye and the scissors to kill you. These like super powerful weapons uh, that was helping him like control time or like be able to change history or something. Uh, and then it ends with Superman talking, but getting cut off with the implication being that Lex Luthor no, did use the weapons to kill him. No, I didn't get that implication at all. I got the implication being that like th- we're exiting the moment now. The moment's over. And uh, one one person I heard talking about this kind of had an interesting idea that like Lex Luthor didn't get those to actually kill Superman. He got them to erase this painful moment from his life. Um or just like because he talks about the fifth season being the time when his dad would be like the most abusive, uh, so he, you know, he was going back in time to alter his own history and not remove Superman from history. Ah, uh, oh, I guess I I interpreted it differently. I saw it as him finally ending his battle with Superman. I don't know. I it was cerebral in a way, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, my other. Uh, one that I enjoyed was Superman, the uh, Tom King and Clay Man one. I'm a big fan of Clay Man's artwork, um, and I've generally enjoyed Tom King. I've been a big fan of his some of his work in the past. Um, but it was just this idea of Superman just living like millions and millions of years into the future and like being there at the point in which the Earth, you know, succumbs to heat death or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, he's, he's been pushing it out of the way of the expanding sun for years and years. And he said that, I didn't see that part. He says that he could have pushed it, or I, he thought about pushing it out of the way. I thought I thought he had said that he had been doing that for a while, and now he like has to let it go. 
but I could be wrong. I think, I think he just meant that he was visit. He's been visiting Earth occasionally for a while uh, over the last several million years, and this. But he didn't know why he always came to visit. But now he thinks that he needs to let it go. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe you were right. I mean, I, we can check it again later. He said. But he said. Just... No, he said. He said. I really thought the orbit expansion would be enough to escape the red giant. So he has been pushing it back. Oh. Well, anyway, uh, it was a well-drawn and kind of melancholy story of, you know, a, a time in history that we will never see. Um, and just, it was, I thought, powerfully yeah, drawn. Yeah, it's it's over. a really, it's a it's just a, a few pages, but it's a really cool little story. Um, I think it's what, Of Tomorrow is the one where, uh, yeah, it's just, he's having this conversation with his dead parents about this yeah this crazy weird moment of time also the guy's name is really clay man clay man yeah like like clay man yeah he has a brother named seth man (laughs) what's a seth how do you be how how was that a superhero to base yourself off of (laughs) um (laughs) clay man uh, Clayman Man. Um, uh, I was happy to see there was some John Cassidy artwork in here. I feel like he's kind of doesn't do. Uh, I'm not really sure what he does outside of comics. I feel like he does do some outside work. I, th- I feel like I even read once that he directed an episode of Supernatural, uh, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but I was reading that story. And at first I thought it was like, it was just kind of really cool art piece in terms of like, here's this guy about to shoot this woman and Superman's flying. He's just like, I'm not going to make it. He's kind of talking about like math and like, you know, I'm, you know, here's my max speed. Like here's as fast as a bullet. Like, you know, you can say Superman can save everyone, but you know, it it really homes in on that moment that like you really can't. In the end, spoilers, like he does save the woman because of an action that she takes. But Mm -hmm. I thought it was really cool that they actually show you in the art, the bullet, um, like going through the the what's it called the chamber the barrel of the gun. Yeah. Um, though I, I got to the point where Superman busts through the wall, and at least the way I was reading, like the, the time passing this whole thing, that he literally had, like as he says, he buys her an auto second. But I imagine that even Superman, who's super strong, busting through a wall, like that's gonna slow him down for like five seconds. It's not gonna slow him down for five, five seconds, seconds, but. But you bust through like there's there's resistance there. Like he's powerful, but there's got to be resistance for him going through. It's a nitpick. It is a nit or a nick pick. Uh-huh. Um, but it just that that one part threw me out for a second. Um, but it could just be be uh, nitpicking. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, there's stories in which Superman saves the day. What I love about Metropolis is that Metropolis is one of the most crime-ridden cities in the world where natural disasters are happening on the daily. But it is presented as like this bright, shining place where it's like everything is, is super great and like it's sunny all the time, even though like people are like r- rail cars are constantly going off track and about to go through like parts of downtown. Space debris is constantly about to fall. Muggings happen every hour and uh you know without without superman would that place just be gotham it it's interesting to think about i think that probably not as much crime in terms of like petty crime and stuff like that happens in metropolis i was talking with someone who told me that 
uh, in New York. And I think they said for the last year, I might have the, the year wrong, but in like the last year of New York, there was only 300 report or just under 300 reported murders or gun deaths. No, just murders in general, not just gun deaths. There wasn't, um, which for a city with how many millions of people, 300 in a year is actually a fairly significant number and is one of the best numbers that New York has seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a city like Metropolis, that's not that's supposed to be like clean and highly advanced, you know, for like a more a much more like postmodern city. It is interesting to think about like what kind of classes of people live there uh, and what kind of crime that that creates. Obviously, they're also being attacked by Brainiac every other week. Right. Um, but I also yeah. uh, I also was a big fan of the story The Car, which is the Jeff Johns and Richard Donner story uh, with Olivia. Uh, yeah. Olivier Coppel. Olivier Coppel. Yeah, that the the name threw me off there. It's a lot of vowels in that name. Uh, which is the story about the guy from uh, the guys from the the original Action Comics 100 or not uh, Action Comics number one uh, cover where Superman is smashing that car and uh, yeah you have the guy whose car is all beaten up and then uh, he's trying to decide if he wants to to junk the car or to pay the money to have it fixed and. Then Superman comes and has a nice little conversation with him in which he's like, you can be better than this. And it has the best visual gag of the whole issue, which I didn't catch at first. Uh, did you catch it, Nick? Mm, maybe there's, not. There's a, the, the guy's walking through the junkyard, and then he looks and he sees a bird. And he looks up and he sees a plane. Oh my gosh, it didn't even dawn on me when I was it, reading that. Yeah, I'm looking it, at it, it right now. And then he says, oh, it's you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't catch that at first either, but it's, it's one of these, uh, one of these stories that is, you know, people, people are like, well, Superman's so lame. He's just strong and can do whatever he wants. And, and what I like about this story and about kind of a lot of stories in this, uh, time is yeah, yeah, you have, you know, where he's, there's some action in there, but they highlight what it is Superman does and in that and that is he tries to help people um you know sometimes that involves some smashing and punching but there's also times where it involves talking and it involves like getting to know the person that he's trying to talk to and and uh having details to try and inspire them or there's or it is about him being amazed by humans um it's about him kind of clinging on to the past and having issues moving on. Um, it is about <laughs> some of his villains that, you know, that need him as much as, as they need the power they so desperately cling to. Like it is just that, that Superman is so many different things, but at his heart, he is not just, um, you know, I can fly and shoot laser beams out of my eyes. It's like, there is so much more about Superman. And and I, and I just really like that this, story did highlight that and i think like uh, this issue did highlight that and i think that if you had um if you had like someone who was like ah you know i I don't really know superheroes i don't really know superman where would be a good place to start i think this issue would I, i would be fine handing this issue to people who don't really know superman and being like check this out see what he's about and then here's all star superman good luck yeah i think i'd yeah, also Superman is a good is an interesting pick because on one hand, 
it's it's an incredible Superman story, just well well told and well drawn. Um, but then at the same token, it's very even, even though I would say for the two of us, as much as we might enjoy Superman, we probably haven't deep dived that much into Superman's history. No, a lot of it's kind of like sure. secondhand articles we've read, random issues uh, here here there in terms of like Silver Age stuff, which All Star is a big homage to. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at the same but at the same time, we can really appreciate it, even though we're not as close to the original source material. Whereas handing it to someone that has like zero. Um, history with Superman and saying this will tell you all you need to know about Superman. I mean, I guess it will, but will they truly appreciate it? Well, you know, I, I, I'm saying it's a good introduction. It'll give you a good taste. I mean, you know, your your complaint is that it's it's surface level. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine for somebody who's like, I don't know Superman. Okay, cool. Here's something that's gonna like give you. An, an idea. Are you then, talking about action comics? Or oh, All-Star? action comics. Oh no, All Star would be so hard to handle to anybody that's, who doesn't know comics. Okay, to. okay, no, yeah, I no, we're on the same uh, page term, there. In terms of service level, whatever you want to call it, like this issue touches on a lot of different facets of Superman, which mm-hmm. I like. Now, uh, what did you think of the Action Land story? Uh, I thought it was in- interesting. I, I don't know, Mister Mixelplex is. Uh, how do you say his name? Mixoplitalix. Uh man, I like knew how to pronounce it because he was on Supergirl and they said his name a whole bunch and now I kind of forget. I always said Mr. Mixoplix, um, which is probably not even how it's actually spelled out, but that's how I say it. Yeah, it's uh, confusing as crap. It was, I mean, I, it was so the problem with like obviously when it comes to telling short, you know, these short stories, you're trying to, a lot of stories are, as you're saying, is encapsulating like what makes Superman great. So the Mixoplex story kind of touches on a lot of different elements of super, of Superman's history. Um, so a lot of these stories just felt like primers, where I guess you know I think almost almost all of them. Like some are, are told a bit more in a, a sophisticated way, some are a bit more ham-fisted. I think it was the more sophisticated ones um, that I was drawn to more, like the car, like the um, the Tom King one, which I'm blanking on its name. Um, the Scott Snyder one, mm-hmm. um, the ones that are a bit more old school, the Dan Jurgens, the there was the Kurt Swan one, but I forget who was writing. I think it was actually written over old Kurt Swan artwork. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the, the sure that's Kurt the Swan Marv is, that's the Marv Wolfman is, one has passed away. Uh, was it Marv Wolfman? Because Dan, Dan um, Jurgens did the first one, um, which we haven't really talked about at all. Uh, I think that yeah, it was Marv Wolfman with. Uh, let me pull it up here real quick. Yeah, but they, they used art from a previous story. And... Which is cool. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of the Tomasi Gleason one. Like, that was yeah, Mark really Wolfman, well done. Kurt, Kurt Swan. Um, um, yeah, the... So, so the... Um... The the Dan Jurgens one is is interesting, but again, it's a bit more old school. It's a little more ham fisted. I think for it's... maybe more old school Superman fans, they probably really liked it. But I was just, I, I'm maybe I am just kind of older and cynical now, and I've read too many superhero comics. But just like, oh yeah, they're having another parade for Superman. Like that's I all. Thought, yeah, but I know, thought it was a really nice. Him. It was a really nice way to open this issue. Be like, let's celebrate Superman. Like, yeah, cool. Right, it, it's showing a celebration of Superman. So it's a story that doesn't necessarily have to fall in line with continuity. It's just, like you say, it's a celebration of Superman. So I just basically need to get the stick out of my butt and well, just enjoy this for the appreciation of Superman that it is. I think I went into it looking for more things that 
that were more like steeped in continuity that had that would have more ramifications for being such a momentous issue. Uh-huh. But I think I was probably asking for too much. Well, much as a as a celebration of Superman, both old school and new. I think this book hits a lot of good notes. Cool. Let's get that stick back up that butt a little bit and let's talk about Bendis. Because there is a story at the end of here called The Truth by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Jim Lee. And it is a teaser for uh, Bendis's upcoming run on Superman. His, his, a teaser for his Man of Steel weekly, weekly series in May that is a tease for his Superman and Action Comics ongoing series, which will probably be teases for his future Batman work. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, so I, starting with Jim Lee, I think I mentioned this to you off the show, but like in terms of like action comics, number 1000, you know, maybe some people really like Jim Lee's artwork, but I found his, his, his main cover for action comics. 1000 a lot of be that, that was uninspired. not a great cover. It was not a great cover. <laughs> Just like it's, it's, it's all of those, not a lot of great Jim variants. Lee's... That was not a great, cause it's boring. It's just Superman standing there and his head's a little small. Right, and even if it was like the in terms of structure or composition, just Superman with his with his hands on his hips and like the Daily Planet and like the city shot in the background, that's not necessarily a bad image to do. It's just not. It's certainly not the best work done by Jim Lee. Like he's no. producing this for for such a momentous issue, and that it's just it was boring. It was not Jim Lee's that's... best work. No, and um, yeah, I think you and I are both coming from the place where like Jim Lee has done some awesome work. We've seen some great Jim Lee work, and that was just unfortunately not great Jim Lee work. No, I'm honestly surprised for it being number one thousand that the. I'm not saying I wanted a ton of variants, but there really weren't that many variants. Well, you and I, we should say you and I both bought the digital version, so maybe I. Uh, I guess they include all of them though. They don't have like extra. In the digital version, they they include all of them. So like I'm I'm flipping through them again right now, and yeah, like there's a let's... great Lee Bermijo one. Yeah. Um. That's but... Starenko one where Superman is having sex with a flag. Uh, I mean let's let's be honest though. Like it's fine. There's not a million variants. There could have been. It's a good thing there's not. Right. Oh no no. I I 100 agree. Just in terms of. For the ones that we got, I thought a lot of them weren't like the the uh, yeah. Mike Allred ones. Awesome. The Mike Allred one um, was so good. The uh, what was it? The Steve Rude uh, one um, is really cool. Anyway, but so I just felt like there could have been more, or in terms of what we got, they they could have been the Steve Rude one. I totally thought was a um, Alex Ross, which now I'm kind of sad. Alex Ross didn't do a cover for this. Actually, I'm kind of surprised Alex Ross didn't do a cover. I guess Lee oh. Bermijo stepped in for the uh, ultra realistic if Superman you, look. If you if that if that cover that like first one of like him with his hands on his hips was done by Alex Ross, like with Boom. Oh, it would have been incredible. I feel like Alex Ross has only really been doing cover work for Marvel lately. I can't think of the last DC Yeah, he cover has done he I mean, but come on. I think everybody would have been fine with him crossing the line. No, for sure, for sure. Um but yeah, anyway, so jumping back now to the truth. The truth is, um, I'm not excited for. I I was never excited for Bendis's run. Um, I wanted to be cautious, cautiously optimistic, um, and it's going to be hard to resist his runs because he's got Ivan Reese on Superman and Patrick Gleason and on Action and Comics. And there's and there's curiosity, you know. 
There's a curiosity there. I mean, Bendis is such a big get for DC, regardless of how you feel about his Marvel work. He clearly was a major influence at Marvel. Mm -hmm. And he's still... I mean, the fact that DC feels the need to run ads in their own comics saying Bendis Bendis is is coming, coming. either as a big, like, middle finger to Marvel... um, I don't think it's a middle finger to Marvel. Not a middle finger, but, you know, kind of like... It, it is a big get, and they're kind of rubbing it in everyone's faces, as, as maybe they probably should. Um, but in terms of the actual content, I mean, again, I don't think this is Jim Lee's greatest artwork. Uh, I mean, I, he's a busy dude because he's like co-publisher of DC Comics, so right, uh, his his you know, the, the attentions are divided. His attentions are divided. Um, it. <sighs> I don't really care about this new villain. No, this this villain who is Doomsday Light. uh, I really can't remember what his name is, um, which is not great if you introduce somebody whose name I I forget. Like if you know they they say his actual name, but have him call him Zar. Yeah, have him call himself something like the Planet Eater. Then I'd be like, okay, I can remember that. That's snappy. Uh, Doomsday, hella snappy. What? It's a doomsday hella snappy. <laughs> doomsday hella snappy. Like that is some great marketing on that doomsday got. Uh, it's just he's like I was responsible for the destruction of Krypton. Meanwhile, <laughs> the only other dialogue in this book is Superman's wearing red shorts again. Which the fact that I have not complained about that for twenty minutes is kind of a miracle. Uh, it just it. It doesn't feel like like this is where I'm going to like be in the Nick camp and agree with you entirely of like this is supposed to tease me for what's coming. This is supposed to get me excited and it doesn't because you're going to like the like who cares why Krypton got destroyed? Who cares? It happened. It's right. in the past. Superman doesn't spend his time agonizing over why is Krypton gone? Like he's moved on. He's accepted it. Like but the whole thing is like we're gonna finally find out the truth that you haven't been hunting or care about but here it is yeah well i mean for me it's less like what is superman's thoughts and feelings on it it's just from like narrative choice like choices to to spend page real estate on i've always been a proponent of this krypton destroyed because of a natural reason or just something it doesn't have to be this big secret mystery like the secret origin of the death of Krypton or whatever. Um, So the idea that like someone was, I know there's been different versions where like it has something to do with Brainiac or it was like the Kryptonians, like because they were like drilling too close to the core or some shit like that. Um, I just like the idea that the planet ran its course at the, at the peak of Kryptonian civilization and Jor-El simply predicted it and no one would listen and it died. Right, yeah, and that's and that's fine. Like, it, and that's what I'm saying. Of like, who you know that you've changed the origin a few times, but it has never once fundamentally changed Superman. Right, and and to have this come in as like, I, I don't know. Like, there's so many directions you can go with interesting Superman stories, and taking it back to like, let's go back to Krypton being destroyed, like the thing that we just all kind of know and accept. And like, it's not like, you know, it would be like. Oh well, now you're finally gonna find out, Batman, who shot your parents. It was like it doesn't matter who shot his parents. The fact is, his parents died, and right. that's like the catalyst. Oh, it's now like, Ben, you know when Bendis gets on Batman, he's gonna tell you who shot Bruce Wayne's parents. It'll be like the fifteenth version, and then that'll be retconned in a while. Uh, 
it's just it's it's also this story for me is superman at, at its least interesting which is where superman is punching or being punched uh yeah he's always as strong as the comic needs him to be and it's more interesting when his moral and and personal philosophies are brought to question mm-hmm. and i didn't get that like, i got that from some of the other stories i got like hints of that uh or like you know, hey, we're not going to focus on the fact that Superman can punch really hard, but this is dealt by the fact this one completely dependent on the fact of Superman's getting punched really hard. Right. It, it, it was a battle comic, which is, you know, for me, I, I don't mind if, if you know, especially for this short story, that uh-huh. it's just it's just a battle. I'm really curious and maybe even a little afraid what's going to happen with Supergirl because I know her solo title just ended, uh, and she plays a role at least in the Man of Steel weekly series. Yeah, and she shows um, up in this issue, which is like nice that <laughs> she's there. But yeah, that she's being acknowledged there. You know, obviously, you know, Lois and John are done for. Um, no, come on. I, I will say one page that I really liked was uh, when Superman stops gets himself tossed, from throw, stops flying into the bookstore. Yeah, I didn't at like the that. Bookstore. I thought that I thought that was cool, and of course his look when he looks back to be like, oh shit, he's coming. Right, and he like, still, he still like goes through that wall <laughs> anyway. Um, right. Though I also have to say, I mean, I'm sure it's all happening after a man of seconds, but um, Rogel, Czar, Rogi, Rogi's like, this is not a fight, hits Superman, and then Superman goes up to the window, stops, and then apparently Rogel Star still felt the need to be like, it's a cleansing, like, just in terms of timing, page, layout-wise, it was like, that was was He's He's monologuing, it's fine. Uh, all right. We, you know, we're kind of wrapping down on time here, but I do want to mention who cares about the shorts. If really, really search yourself, you didn't care that much about the shorts, but it was such a big deal. That was like part of the promotion and advertising for this issue was the shorts are back. Bendis has characters who are like, it didn't look like Superman without the shorts. Yes, it did. It looked like Superman. Come on, he hasn't the had the shorts. They just had, like they they just had in this previous iteration, um, where like he had the boots back, he had the the belt back, he just didn't he, have the it underwear. Looked so good, it looked, it looked so perfectly good. Fine. Perfectly fine, perfect modern Superman that still homages the a, a classic look while while not having red underwear. And on now now like with the red underwear, you look like the kid who's playing Superman. Like ugh. It's guys like look. It's guys running around in their pajamas. All right, like that's let's all can see superhero outfits are kind of silly, in general. Uh, but it, like it without it was looking so sleek, man. It was looking so sleek. Now are we gonna start getting like the trunks back on everybody? Is Batman gonna have trunks again? Is new Superman gonna get trunks because American Superman has it? Like nah, we had we had moved. It had been seven years. We had right. moved past it. We, don't we, we we moved past. I'm looking at the Patrick Gleason, uh, the the page where it shows New Fifty Two Superman turning into uh, Black Suit Superman turning into the first post rebirth Superman suit to his final one, mm-hmm. and it's it looks good. It literally everything's got a sleek belt. Um, he's got the red boots and just literally no underwear, and he was fine. It was a look. Fr- it, it looked so good. Okay, I had to get that out of my system. I'm sure I knew, I knew you were going to bring it up, and like I agree. Also, just the fact that like 
here's this freaking chaotic scene and these women that running a coffee shop or whatever it is, I don't even know, don't like know. taking the time. I mean, it's good that like they're trying to help Superman get him out of the way, put him behind the counter after he just blew through a building. Like, yeah, that's going to hide him. Um, right. But also the fact that they're not freaking their show because the building just fell down around them. Like they're totally acting calm. Your business just got destroyed. You're in the middle of a war zone and Superman's right there. I'd be like, Oh shit! I wouldn't be being like, "Oh, his underwear's back." He put his underwear back on the outside. Right. Like, what? Uh, okay. So, anyway. that just kind of, you know, that that's kind of our our reaction to the Bendis stuff, which I think I think really what it comes down to for us is like it didn't grab us. Maybe there's someone out there that it did. Uh, I just you know, it was it was okay. But after what for me was a lot of really solid stories to then end on this was kind of a sour note. Um, now Nick, you you did admit that maybe you were a little too harsh on this, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you recanting your jaded ways. I, I, oh, no, I'm, I'm giving yeah, you a hard time. I, no, have, have your opinion I, on this book. Like, really do. No, I I, um, I, I came around. Is, in terms of, I, I was looking, I think I was looking for something different. I was hoping for something different in this issue, it being the thousands if issue but i think in terms of what your your perspective on that it's a celebration of superman there's so many he's obviously he's a character he's very complex there's so many different facets to him so many different iterations of him that there's only so much you can accomplish in a reasonably priced you know reasonably sized anniversary issue um that for what it did try to accomplish is being a celebration of the character 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 wow, much um <laughs> It that, finally comes out. Um, it was good. Yeah, I yeah, it's kind of like it's one of those you know movies where you see it the first time you're like, that wasn't as good as I thought it was gonna be, and then you see it again, it's like, oh no, I get it. I had the wrong expectation. Like all my hatred about the Last Jedi makes no sense because the Last Jedi is great. That's that's where I wanted to take this here at the end. Uh, all right. Um, we, you know, we're kind of going a little bit long, so we'll forego recommendations this week. Good, because I probably you didn't you didn't have anything. It's fine. Uh, but well, yeah. If you, what are your thoughts out there, world, on Action Comics number one thousand? Please do reach out to us. You can head on over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can, of course, email us as mentioned earlier, heckyeahcomics at gmail or at heckyeahcomics. We want to hear about it. We'll read it here on the show. You can find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. I'm also on Brokebot Mountain and the Movie Go Round podcasts that are out there on the web. Movie Go Round, or uh, Brokebot Mountain is getting back into its roots with Westworld coming up. If you're looking for a Westworld podcast, please do check that out. You can find Nick, uh, I don't know, secretly worshiping at his Bendis shrine that he has in his closet. And, no comment. And of course, you can find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye.
worst episode ever.